Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Exploring Kodawari. We didn't have a guest this time. It's just my co-host Yanka and I speaking about a really interesting topic that's both fascinating and has also helped her quite a bit over the last year. The topic is about the psychological roots of chronic pain, or at least the potential roots of some chronic pain, viewed specifically through the lens of Dr. John Sarno and the condition known as TMS. Sarno coined the term, which means tension myoneural syndrome, as a diagnosis for people with chronic pain, especially back pain, for whom no physical cause or explanation of their pain was ever found. Now, Yanka is one semester away from becoming a doctor, uh, but she's getting a doctorate in music performance, so you should definitely take anything that sounds like medical advice in this episode with about the largest grain of salt you can find. Anyways, here's our official disclaimer. We are not medical professionals, and the content in this episode is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for the medical advice of a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. Always consult a doctor for medical advice. Okay, according to Google, I've covered our legal basis um, or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, TMS is fascinating because it gets right to the heart of so many issues. It's essentially about how unconscious emotional issues, primarily anger, manifests itself through the autonomic nervous system to create psychosomatic pain. More recently, it's been called mind-body syndrome, and if you've been tracking our episodes or the articles on our website, you can guess why this pulls my interest, as pretty much anything that has to do with consciousness is endlessly fascinating to me. But for Yanka, the topic is a bit more personal, as she has suffered for many years with varying forms of chronic pain. This is especially augmented by the fact that, as a professional violinist, she uses the same specific set of muscles for many hours every day. And when she began reading Dr. Sarno's books about a year ago, crazy things started happening, including some of her long-term pain that she's had for years suddenly disappearing. I'll leave the details of what we say to the episode, but just consider how many people might be recommended surgery for something that might not actually have a, quote, physical cause. And for me, the topic is also fascinating because it intersects so well with the world of meditation and mindfulness, something that we talk about and write about a lot. Anyways, I hope I've piqued your interest enough to listen further and to check out the links in the episode notes. If you or someone you know suffers from chronic pain, there's obviously no guarantee, but this could be something that radically improves their quality of life. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll consider supporting us if you can. Uh, either way, enjoy the episode. No, stop. Oh, we're going. I'm joking. Okay. What's up? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to let you introduce the topic. I mean, so... We'll put an intro in and, and give the basic idea. Okay. So I've probably already given a definition, so just jump right into a more extensive definition and the different names, that kind of thing. All right, sure. So today we're talking about TMS, which stands for um, Tension Myositis or Myoneural Syndrome, which is also known as Mind-Body Syndrome, and most recently, Psychophysiological Disorder. These are all branched under this one name. The first thing I want to say, the most important, is I'm not a health professional. Oh, we'll put that in the yeah, intro we'll for sure. Yeah, we'll put that disclaimer, right? Because I don't want to... However, we'll word it something like, if you're dumb enough to think... Um, well, one of us only almost has a doctorate. Just It happens to be in violin performance. Yeah, which means... So don't take our medical advice. Having said that... I'm a doctor, though, still. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Having said that... Um, what were you saying in the car? More, more like um, think of it like if you if you have ever had pain or know someone that has, this could just be an area really worth looking into yourself. Yeah. 
it it's this it, is an area it's not that's... an end all be all. It's it's definitely pushing towards pseudoscience, which is not as bad of a thing or alternative medicine, right? Absolutely. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. So there are definitely all those caveats, but there are certain things that Western medicine in its current form can't seem to deal with. Mm -hmm. Things like nutrition, right? I mean, how many doctors would tell you the keto diet is like really stupid? And, yeah, and many people are. Maybe they haven't even looked up the the recent research. I remember my doctor was like, um, you know, your cholesterol is high, cut down on fat. I'm like, uh, that's, that's not how it works. Th is that just like a one-to-one Boom, boom. Also, it's not necessarily bad. But again, I'm not a health professional. So. Yeah, so my point, though, is that that um, unfortunately, if you are someone that has something like chronic pain, no matter how subtle or not, does chronic just mean long-term? Or does it mean like the thresholds so. of pain? I mean, are... I'm about to mention it. It doesn't have to always manifest itself as pain. But um, yeah, chronic pain, I would say ongoing pain. I just meant the word chronic means like yeah. you've had it for a length of time, right? Yeah, I would say so. And there's a certain category of, of this chronic pain that I think musicians might have without realizing it. People that might have something like fibromyalgia. So 70 something percent of musicians, by the way, are in some form of pain, like recurring pain. But I don't know, like no one likes to talk about it. So orchestral musicians to be exact, I guess. Part of that is just the the wear and tear of using your body in the same way but for hours every day. Again, it might not be that. So I'm about to start talking about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So medical caveats aside, this is sort of an area of, it intersects really nicely with meditation as we'll get into. So that's kind of where my interest was pulled a little bit. Mm -hmm. And obviously your interest was pulled because you're dealing more with with pain on a, on a, on a chronic level yeah. and especially from violin and car accident stuff. So just think of this as a cool way to be curious about something that modern medicine is not quite ready to deal with the intricacies of the mind and the nervous system and all of that. So we'll that get into the reasons caveat? as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think. And there is, there is some science here. It's just not as robust as say, you know, um, getting a bypass surgery or something. Right. Because it's not as mechanical and all that. All right, I'll shut up. <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk about um, tension myositis syndrome, uh, mind-body syndrome, or basically psychophysiological disorders. And um, basically, from what I researched, again, I'm no expert. It's just, I've been We just did the caveat. Just talk. <laughs> all right. I mean, I've been researching this like a No, lot. you've researched it a lot. That's what I I'm really saying. I really did. Like, don't undersell yourself either. Like, okay. you read all three of his books. That's true. You've watched lectures. You've been doing his journaling thing. Like, yeah. so you're not just a casual um, That's true. person with, with regards to this. So I mean, lately, don't undersell it. I added some extra on top of my TMS. I'm going to refer to it as TMS from now on. TMS knowledge, which was, um, I also like watched lectures about, you know, other topics that were, I think, essentially trying to say, say the same thing. Um, I mean, Sarno never phrased it like this, but I think when you get into like a chronic pain cycle, when your body gets stuck in like fight or flight mode, which like your sympathetic nervous system just gets stuck in that state. And um, basically, I was also watching like other lectures that are claiming 
brain's wiring can get messed up and then because of a trauma and then you might have a maladapted stress response and then this is called limbic system impairment for instance so can these we just were get like, a definition on the table sure for tms I'll, I'll give like a short one sentence one, but just okay, absolutely. sort of, def I know we're dealing with chronic pain, but what's mm -hmm. going on? Okay. TMS is a condition that can manifest itself as chronic pain, gastrointestinal issues, or like, um, what irritable bowel syndrome. I would say so. Yeah. He definitely includes that. What or, about things like, um, what's the one that's your dad has it, right? What starts with a C? Oh, I was about to say coronavirus. Oh um, God, no. Colitis? Col like colitis or the, the other one, Crohn's. Crohn's, yeah. Is well, that one of the ones that, that they, or, or I didn't, The thing is, um, he doesn't strongly claim that obviously those serious, like, diseases that have actually, like, are related to that. But he states that there might be some correlation because, you know, I'm going to explain. We'll get there. So it can be also fibromyalgia. Mostly he believes that a lot of, like, fibromyalgia that is diagnosed can be this it can be allergies mm. so he mainly believes that unconscious repressed emotions can initiate this pain process it can be rage anger sadness and it can be low self-esteem it can be a lot of things like early life trauma childhood trauma like that can have huge effects on brain and then you might be holding on to something and your brain in order to protect you instead of like just making you break down and like in tears and like a place because like so he thinks um it's an evolved mechanism just like our brain protects us from most information that we're encountering every second i think it's something between 95 and 99 percent of all your brain's processing is happening below awareness yeah and when he talks about the divided mind that's one of the names of his book right he, he, he means this this divide between the conscious and the subconscious or the unconscious, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact is we do not understand how we work. What we are as our conscious selves, the, the person you call I, right? The subject in your head that's like looking out at the world through your eyes and mm -hmm. hearing the annoying neighbor, you know, um, cut his bushes or whatever all day um, to oh, it just popped into my head. I want Chinese food tonight. All of that stuff. When I say popped into my head, I mean it came from somewhere it mysterious to me from, yeah. and popped into what we call awareness. So yeah. it, it heavily involves something in that unconscious yeah. deciding for you and your body what to do to protect you from something. Exactly. That's pretty much And that's a really doing. hard claim to prove in, in yeah. terms of um you can't go into an mri clinical and then say yeah, yeah because we you have repressed emotions or you, you we have, don't like, know how to do, mind. do that right like we don't even know how consciousness works yeah. we have a rough idea that it involves the brain obviously but um there's a fundamental mystery to the conscious system of mind and body mm -hmm. that all of this stuff is so um you know it's just we, we need we i say we like i'm on the research team but <laughs> We humans. Yeah, we're like muggles to this topic, we're, but interested. We're medicine muggles. <laughs> medicine muggles. We always talk about music muggles. Eager. Yeah. We're medicine muggles. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just maybe if he could find a mechanism. Let's talk about the, the, the second part. So how does the brain, what does the brain do in its attempt to, you know, repress and, and, and express this rage or childhood trauma or something? So he claims uh, the mind uses the autonomic nervous system to decrease blood flow to the affected muscles 
and it can mean nerves and or tendons. Initially, he was just claiming muscles, and then as he seen as he seen more patient, and he's basing his research on that, like just the cases that he treated, and he realized that it can manifest itself in nerves or tendons as well, and then it causes mild oxygen deprivation. So I know this sounds very scary, like reduced blood flow, but he's saying this is such well, a mild process. Well, what happens process. when you're sitting on the couch and your arm's leaning against the, um, the arm of the couch and all of a sudden you realize your, your, your fingers starting are going numb or whatever. Either you're sitting directly on a nerve or maybe, you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night and your arm's numb, right? Mm-hmm. That's because you hit a blood vessel and you cut off the blood. That's why you can't even move that part of your hand until you get the blood to flow again, yeah. right? But this is completely. But I mean, so like he's saying there's some mechanism yeah. um, in the in the autonomic nervous system. So let's just mm-hmm. get that on the table. If anybody is um, recognizing that word from high school biology or whatever, your nervous system is divided into like voluntary, which is I think somatic nervous system, and involuntary autonomic, and then in that involuntary automatic nervous system i think some people say there are three branches but fundamentally there are two branches that um, are always acting to balance each other Mm -hmm. so there's the sympathetic nervous system which is what keeps you alert and when that gets dialed up that's called the fight or flight response Mm -hmm. adrenaline rushes into the system you're ready to fight flight or freeze actually right like when you um sneak up I don't know how, how many deer I've, you know, snuck up on, but if you like are walking through the woods and you come up upon a deer and it pops up, right? It's in the freeze mode because that's pretty safe for a deer, right? Or any kind of prey animal. And then at some point it will decide I'll, I'll run for my life. I'll do the flight part, right? <laughs> and it put it puts your body into the state of stress because that will keep you alive, right? And um, some people just get stuck in that response constantly. Like if there is a constant stressor or basically if you have a maladapted stress response which so like a lot of the that what did i say sympathetic right yes sympathetic the balance to the sympathetic is the parasympathetic Parasympathetic. rest rest and digest and most of what you are hopefully right now listening to this podcast or hopefully us right now my um Ang- anger at the, the the construction neighbor as it's subsiding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm already not resting or and no, digesting. No, I, I'm, I'm repressing that anger and it will come out as back pain later that's tonight, right? Um, <laughs> so it's called the parasympathetic and that's the nickname is called rest and digest or what's the other one? It's like um, like chill out and Calm ache. and chill. I don't know. <laughs> no, it, it, in other words, like the, the things that you are safe to do when you don't think you're in danger, yeah. right? And that calms your nervous system down. It lowers your heart rate. It slows your breathing. Um, This is all happening from deep in the brain through the vagus nerve, which is this main nerve that cuts down your body. And you can actually feel this. If you just feel your pulse and you breathe in, you'll feel it speed up. And if you breathe out, you'll feel it slow down. That's your vagus nerve at work. Um, Along with that connection between your stomach, which they call the second brain, right? Um, It influences deep parts of your brain that you have no awareness of that control what food urges you get and all this crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. So most of what we are is rest and digest with a little bit of sympathetic fight or flight just for alertness so I'm not groggy and like falling asleep. Well, for me, you know, being able to like speak English in such a like complex topic that I'm so eager to speak puts me already in like a sympathetic nervous system. For sure. I just like really want to do it. You know what I mean? Well, you have to, you have to be more alert to, yeah. to, um, 
uh, knows, understand and speak in, yeah. in a foreign language. Um, so I've been like for the longest time suspicious that that might be the case for me, that I have a couple of, like I already oh, had a tendency. You say, I see. What? <laughs> I know, I see where you're going with yeah, this. Yeah, I already like felt like I had the tendency from a childhood that I might be a little bit more like dialed up anxious than other people not not that i was acting out i was just constantly calculating like in my brain as a kid oh like the possibility of this bridge collapsing onto us possibility of like sars coming finding us and killing us like i I always had these like little calculations and i would ask like my parents like oh what do you think is the possibility of this this you're at a water park you're like what are the chances that we'll all die yeah you know yeah i was like that kid unfortunately and as i aged obviously that disappeared but that or replaced itself it. yeah who knows that replaced itself well things don't really things. disappear do they yeah, of course not. um i mean um, some of our memories are explicit meaning i can think of them directly and some of them are implicit it's almost like they belong in the world of dreams right um i don't remember my dreams often but when i do it's such a fascinating um thing to dive into everything is simplified and like, it doesn't make logical sense like on the surface, right? But then if you analyze it more, you start to like psychologists have done, you see these patterns. And so what Sarno is talking about is definitely stemming from the subconscious territory of dreams. It, it doesn't have to make sense, right? The anger doesn't have to be like the kind of anger where you go, man, 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 this person like was mean to me. And yeah, usually it's rooted way It's deeper deeper than than that. that. It's it's deeper than articulated speech. Sometimes you don't even know. It goes so beyond, like according to what it describes, like to your even recollection, you're a baby. Maybe you were neglected. Maybe something like there was a gesture coming from parents. Yeah. You cried too many times and nobody consoled you. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then that is a trauma. Like this results from trauma, according to what he claims. Well, I mean, for a baby, everything's a trauma, right? Not getting water when you're thirsty becomes a trauma because if you didn't make it a trauma, I mean, how many times do you cry like a baby in your life? Maybe like a few times at like a really intense death or some kind of intense experience, right? Uh, But it's not like you're doing it every day, but babies do it every day because the parents need to hear like a life or death scream from the other room to be like, oh, the baby has a fever, right? (laughs) Not just be like, oh, I'm going back to bed. Uh, so I mean, like it's. I think maybe we're designed for that stuff to be so traumatic. Even though it's, if I have a fever, maybe. well, not in coronavirus time, th- then I will maybe <laughs> worry more. But normally, I'm like, oh, I'll take an Advil and go back to bed. <laughs> um, so it makes sense that simple things they don't have to be like, I had the worst childhood you could imagine, and like you know, y- write a movie yeah, about me. Not. It could just be also normal he life. says that too. Like it doesn't have to be a major trauma. Of course, people obviously also have that like major major event in their life that they can recall probably the people with the worst versions of this yeah he said people lose their ability to walk and then when they work through their emotions i'm gonna get to how to treat yourself and this is just generally called psychosomatic things right Mm -hmm. meaning um things that medical science can't explain that they think has something to do with the psyche right yeah (laughs) it's basically um in like astrophysics they they call dark matter dark matter not because it's matter necessarily or dark it's just a, a word for like we don't really know what's going on you know mm-hmm. i think until we understand consciousness more we won't really understand things like this right yeah. maybe yeah. he can find or he's dead but uh, <laughs> maybe the people studying what he's claiming would find something 
like if they could somehow measure, oh, look, we can see the blood flow being decreased to certain areas on yeah, maybe scanning we'll- things, or we can see the nerves doing that kind of thing. But in terms of the deep subconscious mind and memory, like, well, gosh, they already, knows? they already have a more scientific language to it. That's why I like his contemporaries a lot. Like reading when did and he listening. Die? 2017. Oh, okay. Very recently. So yeah, it's very recent. But like people that picked up his method already started using, at least using more scientific language. Like I'm not saying he's not scientific, but sometimes it's hard to be convinced by the way he wrote things personally, because I'm really looking for like a science-based, however you can get, like however much The more get. grounded in science, the better, no doubt about that. Yeah. So but they're claiming- This might be the cure for a person personally. Some people simply read his books and are cured, is my point. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that absolutely has happened. Basically, what they're claiming is, again, that sounds more scientific to me, is there are some neural pathways in your brain. And you know how your brain works, obviously. No. The more you, <laughs> I mean, like, the more you um, let a connection happen, like, it, let a wiring happen, enough times it's going to get stronger and you're going to learn things better. It's going to stick with you more. So what's being claimed is pain can be learned, like what they're, how they're phrasing right. this is. And the more you kind of um, perpetuate that pain, like, oh, is it coming back? Like, is it about to happen? Like, it just disappeared. Like, why is it coming back? You strengthen those pathways and then they start to misfire. I mean, that's what we do as musicians when we practice. We do a certain activity. We repeat that and then eventually that connection becomes stronger and and more likely to happen and then there's even this thing myelon sheathing of the nerves where it, like it it extra it's like a wire it's like a, a insulation around like certain nerve connections i think i'm speaking way outside of my um <laughs> yeah we knowledge, have no idea what we're saying i know it's called myelon sheath um mm-hmm. not nylon myelon um and it basically speeds up certain connections that you use all the time. So there could also be something to that in terms of learning to be in pain, right? Yeah. You might learn to have shoulder pain or back pain and um, it's it's a habit at the level of, ub, of <laughs> I was about to say at the level of subconscious where we know how to talk and then I couldn't talk. Um, but the idea of, I don't know how I know English. I'm getting to the end of the sentence. I have no idea how I'm doing it. I feel like I'm just watching it happen. So somewhere in that subconscious habit layer could be these habits to um of your of your automatic nervous system to to not send enough blood somewhere to trigger that sort of is it is the claim it's sort of like a feedback loop? You know what a feedback loop yes, is? Yes, that's how they make it sound like especially it hurts a little bit and then you create more pain there because the brain can also create pain. It in other words, it doesn't have to be the lack of oxygen is causing pain. That could be an initial cause, but the rest of it could be just coming from the mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he claims pretty much. Um, so just a summary bullet point this part, we've got TMS. It's a little bit hard to um, show in clinical trials and, and all the fancy stuff that very established medical science can show. But part of that is because it's dealing with a, a very complex topic of, of consciousness and, 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 and nerves and stuff. The second part would be that it usually happens when somebody's um, automatic nervous system is a little bit out of balance. So um, would you say 
balanced a little bit more towards the fight or flight and and not in rest and digest? Yeah, I mean, I think so. He never explicitly claims that, but I think the other, um, you know, doctors or whatever, yeah, (laughs) whatever they are, yeah, they claim similar things. So I think that's what... as far as I know, he hasn't been able to show this mechanically or whatever that would mean, but... Well, they're really good examples, though. The the lack of blood flow is um, causing this on some level. Yeah. But there are really interesting examples on, like, for instance, I believe mine got kind of, mine happened a little bit after I had a whiplash accident. So talk about how you, how you originally found Sarno, um, which was about a year ago, right? A year, No, it was ago? actually two years ago. But it's 2020. Yeah, it was he, 2018. Oh, mm-hmm. so you didn't buy his books until 2019? I read them in 2018, but I was just like, eh, yeah, this is cool, but I don't think that's what's going on. So I just threw them away and then I revisited them this like past year. Wait. I think you lost a year. It was 2019 when you first yeah. found it online. Yeah. You might be right. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I remember what rehearsal I was sitting in reading it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what happened then. So how I found it is I was actually Googling these words violinist in pain, chronic, like all kinds of Life things. Life sucks. Help me. Yeah. Like I was legit. <laughs> kind of googling my feelings and then i came across this um article um it was on howard schubiner's website i guess yeah, howard we'll, schubiner we'll link is, all this stuff so anybody yeah. that's curious musician or otherwise can can check it out yeah how, howard schubiner like took sarno's method and then he's applying it right now he's one of the like famous most famous doctors that are applying it and the article was about how a cellist um was dealing with like chronic wrist pain and it just seemed mis- like he, she was very miserable and it seemed very mysterious that um, she was not just hurting when she was playing, but it was more like when she gets a phone call that like annoyed her, like the pain would like come mm. back or the moment she picks up her instrument, not even yes. like without playing, it was just like start aching. And isn't that something you grew to yeah, notice? That's exactly so what's happening. You would think, okay, if something I'm doing in my playing is causing this pain... I must be straining a muscle somewhere, right? So maybe 30 minutes into practicing, that's when I'll start to notice, um, you know, a problem with pain or whatever. But sometimes just, not only just picking up the instrument might trigger it, but thinking about practicing can trigger it. Or listening to a recording. Like I, oh gosh, yeah, I, yeah. I was well, in the car. Well, that's just more thinking about playing. Yeah, right? I was in the car, and Brahms concerto came up yesterday, and I was just like, "Oh my god, my shoulder is like everything started like tightening up. Like right. I start to stress out actively." Well, if I remember correctly, when you played that with the orchestra at school, you were in the beginning stages of of being like, "What's going on with my hand?" Yeah, I remember you. Um, roughly, you were in the very early stages of being like, "I feel some kind of." deterioration going on with my fingers and a pinched nerve and i'm not quite sure what's happening but um yeah. you know full steam ahead screw it you know <laughs> well after i read that article i'm like oh this sounds a lot like me let me just look into this more and then i found sarno who actually came up with this method and as i was reading the books everybody says this by the way i read a lot of interviews they're like oh i found myself in those pages i really did find myself in those pages there are certain personality traits that actually are more prone to get that mm. people that have very low self-esteem hello and people that have i mean actually i have reasons for that i'm not speaking like my first language and then that automatically makes you very uh, anxious. so you, you hinted what, at it earlier uh, I'll, I'll, let's come back right where you where you were saying but you hinted earlier that because you're in english um 
not only do you have a second personality, right? People that learn a different language actually develop a different personality in in that second language. Mm -hmm. But if my experience in trying to hang out with people in Turkish um, is anything like like yours, uh, you get this kind of deep frustration that you can't express yourself even though you want to, yeah. and you tend to repress that and just forget about it. I mean, it. my mouth is not as fast as my brain, and that always frustrates me. You can hear it. Like, sometimes I'm speaking, and I'm like, uh, total blank. Mm. Like, anyway, that's a different and that, topic. And that causes repressed anger, right? I'm sure, yeah. yeah. I resent you sometimes. I told you this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it happens, obviously. not. I always, offer, I always offer we can switch our fights into Turkish oh, and, and then you can checkmate me all the time. Anyway, I'm like the type of person who would love deep connections. And then when I don't have the words that I'm looking for immediately available, I get very frustrated. And yeah, repressed anger, number one. People that are uh, low self-esteem is, yeah, one of the main personalities people that are very perfectionist that have very high expectations from themselves mm -hmm. i am one of them like i, I mean most musicians, most musicians that make it to I, a certain obviously. level yeah. i think are yeah and what what that would mean I, they're not unrelated like low self-esteem perfectionist self-hate like they, they, they're <laughs> they're like kind of they're they're kids. orbiting the same area right yeah. um which, funny enough, right, the, the title of this podcast is called um, Exploring Kodawari, and Kodawari is the pursuit of perfection, none of which is to say being a perfectionist isolated as a value is a good thing. Don't right? do it. It's having having it perfectionist you. energy as part of, as one module in your, you know, plethora of modules that make up your mind is a good thing because it's balanced by other things, right? Mm -hmm. But to get to dial up the perfectionist thing too much, you're, you'll never reach perfectionism, and then you might grow to resent yourself and hate yeah. yourself. And you have to be able to to to, yeah. to balance it. So the occupation you're in starts to feel off. Like, why am I doing this? Like, you cannot find the right reasons to do it. You just get stuck in this well, cycle. Like, yeah, this, if they're not the right reasons, they don't endure me. the difficult moments, yeah. right? Yeah. Like if you're just in music to have fun, it's like, uh, oh, well, you're not going to have no fun way. a lot of times, yeah. um, you know, for various reasons we don't have to get into, but um, it, it could be subtle playing injuries. It could just be like scheduling. It yeah. could be anything. Also, right? the most important part is what they're claiming is especially not Sarno necessarily. I mean, Sarno is claiming this too, but he's also, okay, let me just speak. Gathered my mind. Okay. So don't get angry now. There are two <laughs> push it down. There are two theories. What I'm trying to say is um the first one is you it, there's an initial injury. You injure yourself. The injury heals, but So it's not completely made up from the mind. Often there's yes, something there's that something. triggers the initial feedback loop. Yes. Yes, there are two theories. The first one is this. This is more like um that guy I mentioned, Howard Schubiner, the the, the more modern more today modern, guy yes. that took over Sarno's work, more or less. That's what he claims. And didn't he more. rename it the mind body syndrome? I think that was him. Yes, yeah. I'm not hundred percent sure, but go check people, Google it. So yeah, what he claims is there's an initial injury usually, then the actual injury goes away, but your brain learns the pain. That's why it starts to perpetuate. And that maps on exactly with what happened to you. So besides Believe. finding him during your violin pain injury stuff, like I think at some point you had pain in your arm and your bow arm, right? And then obviously um, you had pain in your left hand. Um, Yanka had 
a surgery in 2017 for um, ulnar nerve decompression, Mm -hmm. which does seem to have done something, but I would be curious if you found John Sarno before the surgery and tried it, if some of that stuff would have gone away. Yeah. I don't know. That could go either way. Maybe that was a real legit injury that I had to t- take care of. We're going to get into I what the word real means, the by other the way. Stuff that I'm dealing with. You like just said maybe that was a real, real injury. Yeah. We'll get into what real means because that's true. I think real can apply to something yeah. that you can physically point to, but also something more subjectively. But so. what Sarno says in his earlier books that I have a mild problem with he is... He said you do? <laughs> what? Also, who am I to say that? But again, it's my opinion, so listen to it. <laughs> um, what he says is, oh, people usually think... You know, they're like getting down to pick up like a um, heavy object and then they throw their backs off. Or, you know, when you're playing tennis, you injured your hand. If you actually think enough, there must be something emotional going on there around so the same time. I'm like, this, mm, yeah. like, okay, sure? so like, that's another good caveat we should have said in the beginning. Um, like so many things in uh, meditation would be another example, any kind of spirituality thing. There's a lot of gold there. So the expression is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, meaning um, religion in general, right? There's a lot of truth and beautiful things in any religion. And there's a lot of awful things in any religion. To not throw the baby out with the bathwater would mean, yeah, get rid of the bad things and evolve into modern day morality and stuff, but don't throw out the good things. It's so not even same a bad with John thing. Sarno. Maybe he he goes a little too far sometimes with explanations like that. Yes. Like, look, if you're picking up a heavy couch and all of a sudden your back is totally messed up, like probably the couch yeah. messed up your back, right? He, I mean, I think he, he, by no means he's rejecting the opposite, like the first theory. He's saying you might have a whiplash, but you cannot be in pain 10 years later. There's no way. The biggest bone in your body, whatever the name is. So he's saying saying, the long-term damage or the long-term pain that you would say, I've been in pain since the car accident. It's like, well, if that was five years ago, probably... Probably not. That's what he says. Probably you've been in pain, but it's not because of a physical cause. Yes, not anymore. Like maybe initially, yes. What he's claiming is like the biggest bone in the body. I forgot what it's called. When it breaks, it takes... The skin. No, that's organs. Never mind. (laughs) It takes six months, six weeks, not even months, six weeks to heal. The biggest bone, would that be the femur in the leg? I guess so. That's what it is. I just, I'm not good with terms in English. Sorry, everybody. It's just the biggest bone. Google the the biggest bone. That's what he's saying. Like the hardest healing bone heals in six weeks. He's saying your back after a whiplash is not going to heal in 10 months, 10 years. That's just ridiculous. Of course, nerve damage is slightly different too, right? Yeah, but... In in the sense that like sometimes nerves don't grow back and things like that. That's true. If you are paralyzed... Yes, it could be psychosomatic, well, but it could be... he's absolutely saying you might have something physically going on, obviously. I yeah, never, yeah. like, reject that, but... And, yeah, so, and he doesn't either, like, in, in the, the videos I watched and the things I read, it was always very clear that, oh, I've had this pain in my back for three years. First thing he'll do is, is send you for MRIs and things that would scan your body for something obvious and physical, after not finding that and or after finding something physical like a slipped disc, mm-hmm. he might think that you could have TMS because even a slipped disc might not account for the kind of pain you're having. Yeah. Well, if um, you get a... it's Either way, it's not proof that it's causing the pain. Yeah. What he was claiming, something close to 60%, I think they did their research, but again, fact check, please. Research is correct. I just don't know the don't percentages. Don't ask people to fact check us. 
Well, yeah, don't no, we fact checked ourselves. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I read all Maybe of fact check the know. femur being the biggest bone in the body, but that feels right. Could be <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, that hip sounds bone, right to me too, but who knows? Well, um, yeah, close to, I think, 60% of people that have abnormal MRIs. It's just regular wear and tear as you age, your MRI is going to show some stuff. And be, like whatever many percent of these people, which was significantly high, are absolutely not in pain. They just took random people did MRIs. But what happens is when you're in pain and someone tells you to get an MRI and when you see a herniated disc, you're like, oh my God, like I should not play sports anymore. Okay. I should not do anything. And then you get into this like, you know. So you, you said two important things there. Let me just pull them out and make them um, clear. Um, so one thing would be that the problem with false positive, false negative, right? You get a test, mm-hmm. like a COVID test and it comes back positive or negative, but it's never perfect, right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm sitting here and I'm not in pain and they pull me in for a random trial and oh my gosh, look, I have all this slip disc stuff yeah. in my back or whatever. It happens, no pain. And I would Absolutely. go, oh, interesting, didn't know that and then go on with my day. If I were the same person, I were in pain and did, and then got the scan, I would assume that because I'm in pain and because there's an abnormality that there's a connection. But by definition, if that many people, would you say 60%? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> Let's say 60. I think no, you said 60. it was quite high. It, it was Something high. high. I can look uh, up. The exact but... number is not even relevant. It could be five. That would still mean that there's not a one-to-one relationship between physical problems and pain. It was very significant. So let, it, 60% of people should be in chronic pain, and they're not, right? Yeah. They just have slipped discs or something, and they don't know it. So two things wrong there. If I have pain, they see a slip disc, right? They attribute the pain. One, me, I'm going to attribute that as proof of my pain. I'm going to ground it even far, yes. farther, further, <laughs> ground it even further into my my mind's model that this pain is real and that I have to believe in it and all of that. And two, I'm going to be more likely to accept surgery from somebody who wants to cut me up and fix me up. Yeah. And then you get the surgery and, and nothing changes. And nothing really it's changes. It's worse, stuff like that. Maybe and something changes because maybe it was physical, but the point is it you can't It can be placebo know. also. Like that's what he claims, but it never is going to be um, permanent. Like you can have placebo from physical therapy. Also physical therapy, you know, they heat you and then they put coal in your back like or whatever is injured. Um, it actually increases the blood circulation. So that's why you get a temporary relief, sure, which sure. makes sense. He's saying, yeah, it helps you, of course. It but- partially makes sense because of the blood thing, but also we're also at the same time saying that the, the brain is actually inventing the pain. In other words, you don't need a problem at the level of the muscle for the brain to perceive pain. Yeah. So many times pain I felt is in like, the brain. So many times I felt like if I can have a memory loss, I feel like I'm going to wake up from that with no pain. Right. Like it's almost like, yeah, I so like, I'm so convinced that I'm just like, I just learned this incorrectly. You know what I mean? So, um, weird. uh, yeah, the, the idea, um, okay. Let's just talk about mind consciousness, subjectivity kind of thing and the rubber hand experiment. Mm -hmm. So for anybody that hasn't seen it, it's worth going on YouTube. Um, Actually, can you make a note as I'm talking? We'll link it in the episode notes. Um, so the rubber hand experiment is basically this this weird. I, it's this weird way that the mind maps on your body into your you know your sense of body. So basically, you're sitting at a table, and they put up a curtain, 
and you have your arm laying on top of the table, but it's on the other side of this curtain. They then put a rubber arm on the side of the curtain that you can see. So there you are, you feel both your arms in space, you feel your arm just to the left of the curtain, and then let's say it's your left arm, right? You feel your arm just to the left of the curtain, and then you see this rubber arm. And then they do this little trick to trick your brain, right? And of course, this is happening on the subconscious level, so you actually get fooled because it, your brain gets fooled, right? They rub a brush lightly across mm -hmm. your arm at the same time visually that they're rubbing a brush against the rubber arm. And the brain kind of like, now I don't know if it happens with everybody, but it happens with a high percentage of people. Nothing psychologically happens with everybody usually. Well, tell the best part. Yeah. So you're sitting there and they can do all sorts of experiments on you, right? It almost always ends hilariously with um, they pull out a hammer and smash the rubber arm and you pull your real arm away like in panic. And freak out. And freak out. But the part that applies to this TMS thing that stood out to me was they put a flame touching the fingers of the rubber arm. So they light, they have a lighter and they rub the flame over the fingers and the person feels the pain. Yeah. Now their hand is, you know, half a foot, six inches away from the flame. It's definitely not even feeling any heat, right? Them just seeing the rubber hand, which their brain has mapped on as, as being part of their body, makes the nerves in the hand, which is not even near the flame, feel like they're burning. Well, the most interesting part was I think they were like putting the fire close enough to your actual hand and Not, they yes. weren't feeling well, anything. That's the inverse of it. So yeah. they felt it when it was on the rubber hand, even though the flame's not even near their hand. And then they put the flame right underneath the real hand, just mm -hmm. like obviously rubbing anything. it, not like burning human flesh in an experiment. Um, so they just <laughs> kind of like, you know, have you ever put your hand over a candle? You can you can move your finger yeah. and you feel heat. Yeah. They kept it there for that one second where you would start to feel the heat before you actually burn, you know? And they were like, nope, cool. Yeah, maybe they were selected people. Like maybe some people feel it. But again, sure. that just like explains with, um, the thing. What is the, um, uh, uh, the, the thing where people, it's, it's like a type of psychological manipulation. Hypnosis? Hypnosis, Hyp yeah. Hypnosis. So hypnosis is a real psychological phenomenon. You can get people to go in it, into um, a hypnotic state and, and you can command them to do things and, and, and they don't even remember it. It's just blackout for them, right? And they follow your orders. But not everybody uh, does I, mean, I think those are different things. In other words, when they do those experiments, they've already pre-selected for highly, um, what's the word? Highly suggestible people, uh -huh. right? Yeah. People that um, won't even realize that you're yeah. gaining a control to their but subconscious. How do, you think, how do you think like they pick the people that are going to be the best candidate for fake hand like experiment? Like, I'm not I saying I know that they do. Yeah. They, or it is could it just be random. random? Who knows? I, that would be worth yeah. looking up to see. Does that work on... Um, most people or half of people or what so the question is like isn't that so crazy like what is having a body and they also then, they also know? did it with an ice cube remember yeah, that's true. and they put the ice cube on the yeah, real hand feel on the ice cube it's so ridiculous and they didn't feel it yeah. the ice cube was also, on there for like a while thing that i think we need to talk here is the um phantom pain right so this is all related right yeah phantom pain what we're talking about which is like if there's pain on a rubber hand and not your real hand that's I know that's not exactly phantom pain, but yeah. the idea is you you don't feel phantom pain at the stump of your leg that got cut off. You feel it On where your, your foot used to be, yeah. for example, Sorry. even though it doesn't exist. So let's get into the idea. You said this earlier. Now we're, we're at this point. Is it real? So somebody suffers from chronic pain. They've gone to doctor after doctor who cannot um, 
pinpoint anything physical or anything physically wrong with them, right? Is that pain real? Yeah. I know. What the, is I, real? <laughs> I mean, what is real? That's the question. Okay, Morpheus. <laughs> no, that's the best <laughs> scene the from blue the, That's the best the scene thread. from the Matrix when he goes, What is real? Right? That's true though. And, like it was like actually like it should be the question to ask. Right. So you know? there you could say, um, real is only something you can talk about objectively, right? But obviously that's not quite right because we can't objectively talk about consciousness yet. And um, certainly I I know I'm conscious. I don't know you're conscious. I, I assume you are. we don't know how our conscious experience is like within each other's body. Like well, that's what I mean. One. That's what oh, I mean. Oh. Like consciousness, the definition of consciousness mm -hmm. is simply experience. Yeah. Like literally the best definition of consciousness they have is what it is like to be you. Mm -hmm. I actually wrote one of the articles on the website is called what is consciousness because I think that's kind of one of the fundamental questions like everything else is downstream from the idea of consciousness mm -hmm. and that's why you could say that is this pain real yes it's more real than anything else because just like there's multiple ways to define truth right mm -hmm. you could have an objective truth like this is the spin of an electron going around an atom, and here's the equation. You could have an objective truth, like here's this, this, you know, the um, escape velocity to send Elon Musk's next um, payload to the space station into orbit, right? We all agree that that's objective. COVID? <laughs> we all agree that that's a more objective truth, whereas if I say it's good to be good to people, you know, mm -hmm. that's not a, a scientific objective truth. Yeah. But you would agree it's true, right? Yeah. So there can be subjective truths or pragmatic truths, like all these different categories, and often they line up, but often th there's conflict, right? As as there often is between science and religion, and it's all about how our minds frame the world and build a story of who we are existing in the world. And so from that perspective of subjectivity, of consciousness, pain is one of the most real things there is. And to say, oh, the pain is coming from your broken finger, look, versus look, the pain is coming from a totally normal finger is really the same thing. It's much harder to have sympathy for pain that has no obvious physical cause. Yeah. If I get in a car accident and you know, I mean, my spine is broken in half, like you can assume that my pain is real, real. Yeah, there's But a if I just have that pain, it. you would say it's not as real or you would blame me for it or all these other things. And part of what's great about this TMS thing is like, I really, th and people are doing this more and more these days, like thinking that you can blame people for everything they do. That's different than holding them responsible, right? Mm -hmm. Holding someone responsible means like you have to act in a certain way and there's repercussions if you don't. But to blame someone, it's like, what do you mean? Who are you blaming? Like their conscious mm -hmm. self, their subconscious self, their childhood trauma. Like you, you have to be more nuanced when you're thinking about complicated things that involve consciousness and your body and stuff. So I kind of like the framing of, not only is it fair to say the pain's real, you could say it's more real than anything else. Yeah. Certainly for you, right? Absolutely. And that's how we act. If you're in a lot of pain, you, you, 
it freaks your body out well, because you have to of, do something about it. Think about your emotions. Don't they feel real? Like when you're angry, you just cannot really think of uh, unless you're mindful. And again, I think it's the same thing. Even if, if you are, it still feels real. Yeah, it feels real. But you're the observer that's more, watching the emotion. Actually, I mean, you're not anger. Like there is a way of not being that. I think same with this type of pain. Like I haven't achieved it yet, but I think maybe one day I can that I can be the observer of it and then maybe it just lo will lose its power. You know well, what I mean? Well, so I know what you're saying. So you're saying like, yeah, help. <laughs> uh, if you're, if you're s sitting there and, and all of a sudden you get angry, let's say um, the neighbor's doing construction and you, you can't hear yourself think all, all freaking day. Um, yeah. That's just a, okay. a hypothetical. Yeah, example. totally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so you could just actually get caught up in the anger and and do or say something that would ugh, yeah, like and engage then you keep with saying it and more and then yell and just be awful and then when it wears off you're like oh my god like what the hell was that I love you know? when uh, the meditation teacher Jack Cornfield he was on Duncan Trussell's podcast and Duncan was talking about that like some text fight he had with his girlfriend or something ironically enough they were supposed to go on a meditation retreat in Hawaii the Ramdas retreat and they they got in a fight and broke up like in preparation for that, oh, <laughs> which is, I think, hilarious, right? You get I mean, It happens though. Like those so, fights usually find you in like very- They find you in moments. funny moments, yeah. <laughs> um, so Jack Cornfield asked Duncan like, uh, okay, so you're sitting there sending these angry texts and he goes, how did you, how did you feel in that moment? And Duncan thought for a second, he's like, like a little fat baby, like a fat <laughs> angry baby. I think I remember yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and, and that's, that's, the anger mind it's so small and its vision is not big right it's all left brain apparently like it doesn't have that big picture that your your right hemisphere tends to have so the point is maybe with this tms pain thing similar to anger it might still arise but if you can get ahead of it meaning you notice it when it arises before it pulls you into it you can maybe stop the feedback cycle before it gets bad is that the idea? That's exactly what it is. Yes. Mm. You need to stop the pain cycle. Like there are articles about it and it's very hard to do indeed. But there are a couple of ways. Uh, one is recommended that like what happens is when you're not in pain for a while, which happens to me all the time, you start to like think you're like, oh my God, when is this coming? When is it coming back? Like it hasn't been there for a while. Like you just go through your day constantly thinking of the existence or not existence, like non-existence of your pain. And you should just break that. You know what I mean? If you constantly are in that cycle, if it's coming back, like it's here, oh my God, I'm never going to get better or the opposite. It's been gone. What's going on? Like, when is it coming back? You're per, per uh, that word is so hard. Parasympathetic? No, per, perpetuating. Oh, perpetuating. Perpetuating. Yes. Perpetuating. I need to hear someone saying perpetuating the pain. And that puts you in a some sort of cycle that you need to break, well, so which think, is the most of, difficult um, part. Um, I'm speaking into a microphone, right? Obviously, it's it's not going onto a speaker, but let's pretend I plugged it into the speaker here. And then I hold up the microphone to the speaker. You get a feedback loop. You know when people do that and you hear that all of a sudden you get this screeching high-pitched sound. Yeah. So what it actually is, is there's always a base level of noise in the room, right? And then the microphone picks up that, but it's subtle but the mic, the speaker puts out that sound louder. Mm -hmm. So now the microphone picks up the louder sound and amplifies it again. And that's called a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. And when you repeat that at the speed of light, the way microphones and speakers work, you put it up and immediately you hear the high pitched like freak out mm -hmm. of, the, of mm -hmm. the feedback, right? The nervous system is some sort of balancing act, right? 
do you know what inhibitory like neurons are? Nope. So it's something like um, we have neurons that fire a signal and then we have other structures of neurons. Again, I'm speaking roughly from memory of, of things I'm interested in without I maybe think we gave enough disclaimers. All, all the right language, but um, something like there are structures of neurons that fire to do something. And then there are structures of neurons that inhibit. And without that inhibition, we would be we would just spiral out of control. In fact, what we just said earlier about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, the fight or flight versus the rest and digest, that's a sort of inhibitory like balancing kind of act, right? Um, the two hemispheres of the brain are kind of doing that in the corpus callosum that connects the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. I think it's like majority filled with inhibitory neurons. So it's kind of limiting the activity of the other half. And the left half is limiting the activity of the right half and 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 you find a balance, right? Mm-hmm. So speaking of this subjectivity and um, balance and meditation, can you talk about, so he, and I have a clip we'll play in a second, but he talks about um, inner peace and the relationship between this condition and inner peace. Mm-hmm. So what he said was um, he introduced the practice of meditation into his treatment plan later, actually, like after a couple of, I don't know how many years, many years after he started treating patients. Many, many years. Many, many. Who knows? Many, many. Yeah, I have no idea. But um, he was mainly claiming that you need to find, like, bring your mind into like a calm place, mm-hmm. basically, in order to you know, you know the fun, and I'll, let me just play the clip now. Yeah, but, I think he's explaining it way yeah. better than I tried. So, <laughs> but funny enough, it's it's not the the science or the the name of it or his success rate. I think there was something like fifty something percent of people that try it are cured from reading it. Another twenty percent from um, going through his coursework and getting some kind of um, psychotherapy. Psych. What is it called? Um, so, uh, whatever like the more intense kind of therapy that you would get from a psychiatrist not just a psychologist i guess right it's psychotherapy psychotherapy yeah. okay um and Behavior, and something. another 20 percent of and of course some people it doesn't really work on and there's some challenges to what you mean by working so it's definitely the science is is a little bit not fishy but but inconclusive mm-hmm. um but the thing that hooked me when you sent this uh, short little video to me a couple years ago, a year ago, I guess, um, was the fact that, I, that I, because I'm so into meditation and thinking about inner peace and and just going deeper into the mind, uh, it, that's what really hooked me. So yeah. let me just play this clip. This is him talking about um, how he incorporated meditation into his his what would you call it? His method. Yeah, can be extremely helpful. And the latest thing that I've introduced, and it is really brand new, is talking to people about getting in touch with their inner self. Sounds almost Buddhist. But the fact of the matter is, I think the Buddhists are very wise. Tibetan Buddhists I'm thinking of in particular. And how do you advise people to get in touch with their inner selves? It's kind of like meditation. A quiet time, close their eyes, and imagine six-year-old Donna standing in front of you and saying to six-year-old Donna, you know, right now, or 
you had to be a good little girl and so on and that, and that made you angry and maybe sometimes uh, you were unhappy and sad and so on and just sort of conversing with her. Yeah, so um, the example he just gave it, it's like that's everybody at some point in their childhood was told like no by their parents when they wanted to do something, right? And it's even at that level could be what represses some anger, right? Yeah. Like a little pocket, a little storm of a memory in your subconscious. Or it doesn't even have to be a past event. I may have phrased that wrong. It can be a current stressor too, sure, absolutely. Sure. Like you're upset with your partner, you're upset with and And, stress, and you're repressing that, that particular yeah. thing you're not necessarily you don't want to deal with it or who yeah, knows, right? Exactly. Um, That's why the most important part is we can like get into treatment a little bit. Yeah, let's just finish the mindfulness thing. So sure. what do you think he means by get in touch with your inner self? I think it's it's along the same lines as the inner peace thing. Mm -hmm. Do you know the word I'm thinking of? It's it's used all the time in the meditation world. It starts with an E. Why am I quizzing you? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> it's equanimity. Yeah. Right? And it just means you come to peace with what is, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of being like, I need the external world to be a certain way so that I'm happy, which is just attachment to externals mm -hmm. you can say actually my happiness depends on how i frame whatever the externals are so whether that be like you know the electric's been out for a week or we've never had the electric go out i should be able to just frame that and find gratitude and inner peace right to find equanimity with your emotions means you don't you don't touch them you let them be you, you don't repress them because that causes this tms type stuff potentially mm -hmm. right but you also don't engage with them and like, you yeah. know, and take no on the anger or take on the jealousy or, or any of that stuff. When you're mindful, by definition, mindfulness means awareness. It means that you are not angry. You are that which is aware of angry, of anger. You are not um, anxious. You're that which is aware of anxiety, right? And mindfulness has different layers to it. You're not pain. You're the one that's aware of pain. Sure. And the moment you can, I think, see it like that, that's a good place but, to start. But it's not a, it's breaking not a, that what I, I guess what I was trying to say is it's not a, an on or off switch. In other words, mindfulness is a sliding scale of, of I think, more and more mindfulness. Yeah. In other words, you can get to the point, you can get a little bit each time. I don't know where this ends. I'm just me and I, you know, meditate, um, try to meditate every day, but it's not like I've gone to a cave for three months at a time and, and, and done silent meditation retreats. But I think as far as my own experience has shown me, you can get deeper into the subconscious the more you practice and the more mindfulness you cultivate. Mm -hmm. And so you can get closer to the moment where the, the thought actually entered into conscious awareness, mm -hmm. right? Or you spot it sooner, in other words. Yeah. So think about anger. You could be a couple of sentences into an angry response when you re remember, take my breath, see the anger, mm -hmm. and then change change course, right? You know, oops, I veered off onto that road. Let me just back up, mm -hmm. <laughs> go the other way. Um, or you could not. You could be lost in it. Or you could notice it the moment it 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 starts to excite your nervous system, right? <laughs> yeah. And then and then that's even more mindfulness, right? So. Once a loop is going, like a feedback loop, it's really hard to stop that. That's a powerful thing, right? So the idea is if you can spot the, the um, if you can be so mindful that you spot whatever it is, whether it's a painful emotion or a, a pain cycle, 
before it even becomes a cycle, that's when you can get ahead of it. I've been using that terminology a lot when writing about mindfulness, like getting ahead of things, meaning um, you're not reacting to them. You're sort of like, you you just see them more clearly. Which is such a hard thing to do, I think, with pain. Because, you know, with emotions, it's very difficult, obviously. But with pain... It's I real. Mean, pain is, so I think real. Pain, you know pain maybe goes deeper, right? Yeah. I mean, literally, it's, uh, well, depends how you define pain and all of that, right? And it, we just mm-hmm. hopefully circled around the problem between subjectivity and objectivity uh, uh, enough to make the point that, that pain is just a word we use for a phenomena. And, and the study of subjective phenomena in, in philosophy is called phenomenology. So it'd be like if you're studying the phenomenology of music, it's not like, oh, here's the brain structures that fire when you hear music. It's also not music theory. Here's how music works. It's what are the subjective phenomena of hearing music? How do how does it arise in consciousness? And and can we study that in in a in a in a detailed way and like build build a a detailed knowledge base, even though it's all subjective and all of that. Mm-hmm. So. I, I guess the summary for this little part of the, the talk would be pain can have both physical and more objective causes, and it can have completely made up conscious causes like the rubber hand and everything in between. So in most cases, probably your pain is a little bit of both, right? It's a little bit of a pinched nerve or a physical problem um, or an injury and and maybe a little bit of the mind, or it could be a really dialed up version where your physical injury is healed, but your brain hasn't let it heal, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. I mean... So when, when he said the I thing about uh, it's basically Tibetan Buddhism, right? He had a little smile on his face. And I've noticed that a lot of the really smart scientists that I like to listen to and listen to podcasts and watch lectures, a lot of them are into a sort of secular version of Buddhism. Yeah. Buddhism is very easy to make secular. In other words get rid of the bathwater, but keep the baby, <laughs> you know, um, keep the good stuff, but you don't have to frame it in some kind of um, religious, you know, supernatural kind of way. You just go, consciousness is mysterious. If you want to understand your mind, sit down and observe it. That kind of like, th- there's your two main ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And so inner peace and like getting to know yourself, like you said there would be actually sit down and get to know yourself. Don't don't stop the the constant don't do the constant distraction thing because yeah. that is how subconscious habits and pain cycles and and emotion cycles that's how they they keep going if you don't ever pay attention to them and learn them then you you're living them yeah. right you're you're acting them out that's one of the things um joseph goldstein the meditation teacher says when remember that meditation we listen to it a lot it's called um dictators of the mind yeah and basically he says, the problem with being lost in thought is not just that we're lost in them and, and maybe suffering them if they're negative thoughts, but that we're often acting them out. We get lost on trains of association and just act out the negative thoughts and suffer internally from them. And mindfulness is like the superpower that says, I can step back from this whole thing and change where I am in the experience of consciousness. Um, whether that's pain, much harder to do with, or just, Emotions. you know, I'm hungry. Anger, anything, yeah. Or even, have you ever meditated and you start to feel tired? Oh, and then you can course. sort of go, um, well, you have two choices. You can either just fall asleep, which I've done a lot of times. <laughs> or if you start to just, you sharpen up your focus a little bit and you go, how do I know I'm tired? 
and you just kind of scan your body. And the first place I go is like, my eyelids got a little bit heavy. Hmm, interesting. Okay. How else do I know I'm tired? Oh, my breathing changed a little bit. I was breathing more shallow, right? And you start to note, and all of a sudden you realize the 20 minute meditation is over and you've actually just done a very mindful scan of your body, right? Or sometimes you constantly fall asleep once in every like 10 seconds. Oh, you're doing the the head bobbing thing? Yeah. Yeah. The head bobbing. I love that. Absolutely. Um, So you didn't really talk about the car accident though. Oh, yeah. So we had a very basic, simple car accident, Luke and I. It was both basic and it wasn't. Yeah, that's true. It was a... Because what I I mean to say is that um, it, it, it didn't end up damaging the car insanely like it looked drivable it was ruled a total loss in terms of insurance but we drove the car home from the accident that night but we had a solid whiplash i would say but but it was more traumatic than it was physically damaging i think or that my body was definitely sore the next day and your body was definitely sore the next day and my body's still hurting two years later the point was it was you picked me up from jfk right i was coming back from a concert i think it was december right um from oklahoma and I think I was driving, yeah. Um, and we were on a the ex- we were on a, a highway. We were going like seventy miles per hour, and I don't I don't know what happened. It was like a curvy road, but all of a sudden we were like a bomb exploded in the back of our car. We were hit by what we think is an Uber driver who fell asleep um, or was texting or something because he just came around a curve going like I would say eighty five ninety, yeah. and we were going like sixty five seventy and we're pretty lucky that he hit us pretty straight on because who knows how that could have made a yeah. vehicle tumble or anything like that. But you said he kicked us like far enough that when you looked at the rear mirror, like it was so far, so you couldn't really understand for a while. Yeah, and he, he may have freaked out and hit the or um, brake or break something. But this, yeah. my dad's theory was that he was probably going so fast because it's possible he fell asleep at the wheel and then you lean into the gas yeah. pedal, right? Yeah. But either way, my point was, yeah, you had some physical injury in your back, but it was also more of like a traumatic, like, the sudden startling of it and you were like legit shaking after it for quite a while. I freaked out for sure. But I felt like an instant something's wrong. Like the moment I had the, like my head going forward and back, like the whiplash motion, I'm like, Oh, something's not right. No offense, but you have a weaker body than I do. And I I did not get get any whiplash. I mean, my head, my, my neck and shoulder muscles essentially were able to stabilize my head. Whereas yours weren't right. Yeah. But the thing is, it's so unexpected. Like, we were also having a, such a pleasant conversation. So I was relaxed, like, you know, parasympathetic nervous system all the way. And that happened. So anyway, like, I was just like And the Uber driver probably had the parasympathetic nervous system going all the way, right? <laughs> God, yeah. That's why he crashed into it. Yeah, that's um, true. So yeah, I, I started having this pain in my right shoulder blade and neck area. I got MRIs, nothing really significant, but I'm Wait, when really did you get an MRI? I don't remember March. That. Oh, okay. Yeah, very recently, actually. I've been just like having... Like, not going not March 2020, March 2019. No, March 2020, before coronavirus. Oh. Yeah, I put my phone in the MRI and burned it, remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a whole different story. Not my fault. Anyway, so yeah, I've been in pain and I got an MRI and they're like, honestly... But like, talk about how, how, how it's... First off, did they find anything on the MRI? Usual wear and tear. They said like Usual nothing really th- like that's going to contribute to this. And they also found something interesting. They said like there are these like super tight muscle like knots 
like in one like that the You're same like, side yeah, of no your duh. my yeah <laughs> like and they're like oh we don't really know why these are here why don't you take some muscle relaxants i'm like yeah that's a very smart solution what an obvious answer yeah, yeah. here take some medicine exactly and i didn't even like i grabbed the pills well that's what that's what yeah. that's what i love about um doctors like this that are 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 willing to go back to the drawing board is the expression we use meaning go back to first principles and be like okay how could this pain be caused? Mm -hmm. Whereas Western medicine, I think Sarno was saying, um, one reason that that um, doctors have had a hard time adopting what he came up with is because there's a there was a big shift in medicine. He was saying between, let's say, after the mid 1950s, mm -hmm. before the mid 1950s, it was more common to view emotions as part of medical treatment. And after 1950s, it, it became more common to just view medicine from a mechanical standpoint. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense in terms of an incentive structure of a whole medical system to evolve that mechanical things can have very boxed in diagnoses, right? Yeah. And very marketable diagnoses, right? Not to mention, oh gosh, I wrote it down on the bottom of this note page, the, um, the, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's a billion-dollar industry treating pain yeah. in the U.S. Medication, so, well, especially a back like back pain. That's such a huge like. I right. go check the numbers. It's an epidemic. It's insane. So, how many people have to really wonder? Hmm. If can a billion-dollar industry really affect how how we conceive of reality and all that? It's like, of course it can, right? We can barely get coronavirus relief bills passed oh, because because you know. So, it's not surprising to me that that. Um, science itself, even though it's the best, I think the best thing we have to understand the objective world and, and even our own bodies objectively, it makes sense that it would be corrupted by incentives of making money, mm -hmm. of people getting stuck in one way of thinking of, you know, it, and, and the, um, the mathematician Eric Weinstein calls it the gated institutional narrative that any institution will develop in almost a subconscious way, narratives that protect it, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that protects the medical industry is obviously science, and that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. In other words, oh, you have to pass these rigorous tests to, to say your medicine, otherwise we call you alternative medicine, right? But one of the bad things would be like the profits and the and the, the way the hospitals, you know, structure things to make money. And, and of course. so there's incentives that are are good and, and incentives that are bad. and certainly with pain, considering it's a billion dollar industry, I don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to think that treatment like this, which is not very marketable yeah. and not very profitable necessarily, um, would be repressed and treatments that are marketable and do make money to not only doctors and hospitals, but also to drug companies mm -hmm. would be um, promoted and, and, and yeah. Um, become part of the narrative of the culture. Absolutely. Also on top of that, I think, you know, when you cannot prove something with science, like people don't want to go there. They're like, oh, okay. Like right. people will like to have definitions. People would like to have like boxed in kind of, you know, Cert just systems. Like I think we that's like a good thing. Seeing that absolutely most of the time. If I had to go to the ER right now because I collapsed, you, are you going to bring yeah, are, are you going to bring me to the ER at the hospital or are you going to br bring me to the um, alternative medicine lady down the street, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's, now, that's true. If I have chronic pain and the 
doctors can't figure out what's wrong yeah, with me, you then I might everything. visit the alternative yeah. medicine lady. Exactly. And there, and and I guess what I'm trying to say um, is by, by talking about the subjective and the objective and and the world of meditation and spirituality and consciousness is just the idea that um, as I learn learn to meditate more and sit down and observe my own mind, I when he says something like finding inner peace or get to know yourself that makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. And if you were to ask me that before I started a meditation practice, my skepticism brain, I literally used to listen to a podcast called Skeptic Universe and it would find situations like this and just make fun of it almost, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And to be skeptical is good, but it can also make you kind of an a-hole, right? Yeah. Um, so I just, I used a-hole so we don't have to put the explicit marker <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> we did that two times in a row, I think. <laughs> um, so yes, okay. Where are we so far? You were in a car accident. Yes, let's talk about that. Talk so, about how the pain would go away and or change sides and all that stuff. Okay, so that is called what Sarno calls symptom imperative. What happens is when you start to pinpoint the real reasons of the pain, it might start changing its place. Like you basically body decides to be like, oh, like our cover is revealed, supposedly. Let's, you know, jump into somewhere else. Which, like, a lot of people before they recovered, they, that those are the types of things that they show. But the main reason why, like, you can define your pain as unreal is, like, it wouldn't be in one exact spot. It would, like, go down, go up in the sp- spine. Like, you know, you can be convinced that more easily that it's not really resulted by a physical cause, which is what's happening to me. Sometimes mm-hmm. I wake up, it's a little lower, it's higher, it's on my arm, back, on the other side, like what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I was for a while, I think, in pain because of the whiplash injury. But then what happened is a year later, like I was at this music festival and then there was this like performance and I was like doing great, wonderful. The moment I sat down, started playing, I started feeling like my back is cramping mm-hmm. after like months of being totally fine. And we're not talking like, oh, I slept on my back wrong. No, we're all of like, a sudden. Everything's fine in the middle of the yeah. day. And then all of a sudden. The yeah. moment I saw people staring at me, I'm like supposed to sit down here and so you think being when, judged by people. I'm like, or, just totally lucky. And it, it could have even been simpler than that. Just the fight or flight response, which is what you get as a musician when you go on stage and you get nervous. But the thing it's is, that same basic <laughs> A yeah. physiological response. There were so many. There were so many performances leading up to that where I didn't have that, but in this particular one, and I know exactly like that. Worth anyway. saying, didn't you get off beta blockers that summer, no, or was that this the one is before it? The one before. Okay, then but that's anyway, unrelated. Yeah. No, I, I was like feeling totally fine, but for some reason, my right arm started just completely getting just tight, like insane tight. Started going numb. I'm barely able to hold my arm. My end is getting cold. Like I'm just getting feeling like something's like getting like a demon who's who's dying and trying squeezing my back all the way down my arm. And I'm like, this is so weird. Do you know the um the the sort of gosh? I'm trying to think of an example, but and I've seen it probably in a few different movies where there's some kind of demon, and then as you like point it out and you're like doing the thing that kills it, it changes forms and gets desperate until it (laughs) finally dies. Right? Yeah. Um, what's the one? I'm thinking Exorcist. like, well, no, the kind where like it would inhabit someone's body, you know, and, and like yeah, you're fighting against that's exorcist. it. And, exor- how do you say that? Oh, word? exorcist. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did I say it wrong? Anyway, um, that's the movie. Like your head starts to spin like weird anyway. Yeah. So I, I just meant, I can't think of the, the example I'm thinking of for some reason, but um, f- for some reason, I, I no, no, <laughs> don't pee now. <laughs> <I really laughs> We're about have. to finish. All right. <laughs> 
Um, pee before podcast, generally. No, it's been an um, hour, dude. Uh, otherwise, you'll get PTMS. Oh, God. Okay. So, um, yeah, anyways, I, I, I love the idea that, like, there could be these little storms in your nervous system and and that if you if it goes away from one area, it can sort of transpose, haha, musical term, uh, to another area, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's the summary. I can. I, Let me I, talk about treatment really quick, though. Oh, I mean, crap. it's not yeah. our business, but go research. It's very simple. Knowledge is power. Like you have to be convinced that this might be an option. You should keep that door open. A lot of people right away shut it. Me, like I'm constantly back and forth. Sure. One day I'm really convinced. The other day I'm like, no, no, no. I need to Google all if these symptoms and freak myself if out. If you're more of a prickly thinker and more of a scientific yeah, thinker, good you luck have, with that. You have to be willing to step more into the gooey world of consciousness and subjectivity and belief. Yes. Because as far as you've explained it to me and I've read, for a treatment like this to work, you have to actually believe, right? Which means you have to really convince yourself this pain is just my brain causing something. It's not coming from something broken. And in it's me. not going to hurt me. I'll be okay. Like, but it's so allow hard. It, obviously, allow it. Yes. Allow it. Allow it. In, yeah. in mindfulness, it's, very it's always hard allow to sustain it. Yeah. This mindset, obviously. Yes. Like, that's Especially why there are a lot when of you're setbacks. distracted by pain, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so that's number one. Number two, journaling. Like, sit down, categorize your life, past events, current stressors, my personality traits, what's contributing, and then start journaling about all these. Like list things and every single item in your list. Start journaling for like half hour every day. I started doing this. I mean, I had to take a break. <laughs> so like I felt oh, the way wagon. I was going to say, I haven't you do it in a while. Yeah, I should, I should get back to it. And okay. I feel like it was get, like getting better. I mean, life happens, stuff happens. So that's, that, like, that's also a very important part of it. So, so that you can you're, you're forcing yourself to write down in detail. Let's say if you say, okay, your job today is to write 2,000 words about your family middle school experience or your fourth grade experience, go even more specific, you would start to recall memories you don't even remember that you know, right? Mm -hmm. um, memories that were more implicit that you you sort of make more explicit and you might find some gold buried in there, right? Mm -hmm. You might remember something and you're like, oh my yeah. gosh, that was traumatic. I remember being so stressed for like a whole Absolutely. week during that or something. And the most important part is you need to focus on how you felt, like the feelings. I felt what did it trigger? this. Yeah, you need to really just be... Yes. clear about your feelings and and you're almost building a sort of map by writing it out like yeah. this right exactly. you're making things that are more wishy-washy and subconscious more grounded and, and conscious mm -hmm. yeah and this is pretty much it i mean some people require some sort of form of therapy for sure but the longer you stick with it like people recover what would I, you I say think your, the, your success rate has been just personally i know you haven't like dive in, you didn't dive into this like yeah, i'm like on like and off like hard, i still hardcore. have like bad days i still have good days overall i think i'm like 40 percent better about dealing which is with a lot this. yeah when you're dealing with pain and i feel like yeah. obviously there are some days that i have a complete setback but i can come back from it like i think most days i'm doing better than i'm doing worse so mm -hmm. that's always an improvement like and i think i'm in the beginning of this journey at this point so I need to just keep doing what I'm and doing. And I think I think if you pair it with with a a, a structured meditation practice or as well, that, it will yeah, it will absolutely. really um, because the more self awareness and mindfulness you have, the better, right? Yeah. All right. So here's the main takeaways. Feel free to uh, say anything. Um, then you can go pee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So pain may or may not have a physical cause, right? You could have pain in your arm. There's nothing wrong with it. That doesn't mean the pain is not real. Yeah. Because can pain I tell being you real hilarious? is just experience. Go ahead. The moment I feel like I, I, I started to feel like I have to pee so bad, the pain in my back completely disappeared because my brain found another Of course, yeah. 
I absolutely haven't been feeling it for 20 minutes. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's, it's also how you can learn to, maybe it's even an adaptation, right? Like hedonic adaptation is getting used to pleasurable things. The, when the fridge is on in the background, right, you might hear it when it goes on and then it, it falls into the background noise and you don't consciously hear it. It, Mm -hmm. your brain learns, learns to ignore it. So the, Again, this is just more more evidence on the side of consciousness and subjectivity and experience is something that objective science can't quite get a box around. Mm-hmm. Maybe ever, but certainly not right now. Okay, so pain is subjective. It's phenomenological. It might be the most real thing. Um, crucial to the concept of understanding the vagus nerve is this balance of fight or flight, rest and digest. In fact, mm-hmm. somebody who, who suffers from any amount of anxiety might, again, might not be able to cure it with meditation, but can certainly change the intensity of anxiety. It might be still intense, but they might be able to change it. Um, trauma seems to be some kind of a trigger. So repressed trauma finds its way out through this automatic aut- autonomic nervous system. Um, And finally, uh, journaling is an important step to figure out what triggers your brain, right? Yeah. Would you say that covers it pretty much? I would say so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If this ending seems rushed, Yanka's staring at me like, I'm going (laughs) to pee my pants. Yeah, I mean, I will. (laughs) Um, So, anything else to say? That's it, I guess. We talked a lot and... And? Bye! There you go. (laughs) Thank you. See you guys. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Exploring Kodawari. If you enjoyed it, we hope you'll consider sharing it on social media and with friends. You can also help us out by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those help us more than you would think. And if you'd like to help us out in a more substantial way, consider going over to our website to make a donation through PayPal. Links are in the episode notes for this. You can do this as a one-time donation or a recurring monthly donation. All of that support will help us to set aside time in order to create content for the podcast and the blog. And finally... Please get in touch with us and say hi, either on social media or privately through email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.